0: I want to invite each of you to take your Bible, if you have a copy of God's Word, and turn to the book of Acts, chapter 13. And our reading today will begin in verse um, 23. Before we start our reading, I want, to, I want to back up a little bit and talk about where we are, especially because uh, we're actually coming right into the middle of a sermon where we're reading today. So I want to remind you that the, the previous passage we, um, we looked at last week, it was really the first part of this message where Paul and Barnabas, they're on this missionary journey, and they follow this specific strategy where they go into synagogues uh, to the Jewish people. Why did they do that? Because, well, part of it was a belief on Paul's part. He said that the gospel was for the Jew first and then for the Gentile, because, of course, these these folks, they had been waiting and, and hoping and believing in a coming Messiah for all these years, and Paul felt Uh, They need to be the first to hear uh, about the Messiah, the Christ, the promised one. He's now arrived. Uh, But Paul also knew it was a practical thing. If he just started talking to your average uh, Greek or Roman back in the day, they'd be, Jesus, Jesus who? He's the Messiah. Well, well, Messiah, what's that? And there was a lot more to explain. But this audience of people they would be the first ones, they would be the easiest ones to understand the message of the gospel because they already knew that a Messiah was coming. They just needed to hear and believe that that Messiah, that promised one from God, had come. And so uh, we, we read the first part of that message where he was really building some common ground uh, with those Jewish folks, and he was talking about, well, here's what God did when he called out our nation. He looked back to our forefather, Abraham, and, and then that son, Isaac, and that grandson, Jacob, that became a nation. And, and they were enslaved in, in, in Egypt, and God brought them out into Canaan land, and he gave them a new home. And, and then he talked about the period of the, the judges, and, and then that the Israelite people asked and said, we want a king. And so God gave them a king, uh, and, and that king's name was Saul. Saul didn't work out so well. He didn't really follow God's voice. But the Bible says that God found a man who had a heart after God's own heart, and his name was David. And, and so uh, Paul was telling them he raised up King David. And at that point, everybody's ears would have perked up because they, they all thought about David, and they all knew the significance of David. He was their greatest king. And In fact, he was a king from whom the Bible had promised that a descendant of David would come and be the Messiah one day. And so with that in mind, we pick up in our our, uh, passage here in Acts. I want to ask if you would please stand with me as we begin reading Acts chapter 13, beginning in verse 23. And it is one of King David's descendants, Jesus who is God's promised Savior of Israel. Before he came, John the Baptist preached. All the people of Israel needed to repent of their sins and turn to God and be baptized. As John was finishing his ministry, he asked, Do you think I am the Messiah? No, I am not. But he is coming soon. And I'm not even worthy to be the slave that unties the sandals on his feet. "'Brothers, you sons of Abraham and also you God-fearing Gentiles, "'this message of salvation has been sent to us. "'The people in Jerusalem and their leaders, "'they did not recognize Jesus as the one the prophets had spoken about. "'Instead, they condemned him, "'and in doing this, they fulfilled the prophets' words that are read every Sabbath. "'They found no legal reason to execute him, "'but they asked Pilate to have him killed anyway.' When they had done all that the prophecies said about him, they took him down from the cross and placed him in a tomb, but God raised him from the dead. And over a period of many days, he appeared to those who had gone with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, and they are now his witnesses to the people of Israel. And now we are here to bring you this good news. This promise that was made to our ancestors. And God has now fulfilled it for us, their descendants, by raising Jesus. This is what the second psalm says about Jesus. You are my son. Today I have become your father. For God had promised to raise him from the dead, not leaving him to rot in the grave. He said, I will give you the sacred blessings I promised to David. Another psalm explains it more fully. You will not allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. This is not a reference to David, for after David had done the will of God in his own generation, he died and was buried with his ancestors and his body decayed. No, it was a reference to someone else, someone whom God raised and whose body did not decay. Brothers, listen. We are here to proclaim that through this man, Jesus, there is forgiveness for your sins. Everyone who believes in him is made right in God's sight, something that the law of Moses could never do. Be careful. Don't let the prophet's words apply to you. For they said, look, you mockers, be amazed and die. For I am doing something in your own day that you wouldn't believe even if someone told you about it. Would you bow with me for prayer? Heavenly Father, thank you for this Word that was delivered by the Apostle Paul, Lord, almost 2,000 years ago. And Father, this word is not just a note in history, but it is fresh and it is relevant for us today. It has meaning for us today, and I pray that our hearts would be open. And Father, that you would help us to listen to what you have to say, that we would clearly hear Uh, your voice, uh, teaching us about your promise. God, we pray and we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Promises are a part of a life. Um, They take various forms. Sometimes it's a a handshake. Sometimes it's a written covenant, written contract or agreement. Um, Sometimes we don't mean things as promises, but sometimes someone else takes them as a promise. Uh, For instance, if you have children, you you will find out very soon something that you didn't even know you were saying yes to. Later on, you promised, you promised, you said you would do it, and did I? Well, okay, you know, maybe, maybe we'll go with that. But well, we, we deal in promises, and yet our promises, uh, they're the human variety, right? And, and that means they, they may or may not happen. But God's promises is on a different level. And today, I want us to think about the gospel as a promise of God. That's what this passage is all about, how the gospel, how the good news of Jesus Christ is a promise to us. First of all, we see that it's a promise because it's prophecy fulfilled. Paul here is making them understand, before he even gets to, hey, there's this great thing that, that can come about through Jesus Christ, he wants us to understand God always keeps his promises. God always takes care of us. When he says he's going to do something, uh, it not, it, it might, it's not a might happen, it's a will happen. And he goes through uh, great pains to reference these these stories from the Old Testament, a couple of passages from Psalms and, and places from the history of the Old Testament. And he says, look, God has promised, he has promised, he has promised, and God has delivered. And that's important for you and I to understand that as we believe in the gospel, we're not believing in a shaky source. We, we talk a lot in this world today about fake news, right? And depending on who you are and where your political persuasion is, fake news can mean a lot of different things. But in other words, we're at a place in this world where we're very cynical. We're very skeptical. When we see something out there, when we hear something, we don't just automatically, oh, yeah, really? Is that true? We're kind of like, uh, I don't know about that. Uh, we, we doubt because there's so much misinformation, and we feel that, that we have to be skeptical about what's out there in this world. And so Paul is giving us some, some solid proof to ground our beliefs on. When we base our life on the gospel, when we say yes to Jesus, God, I'm trusting you with my whole life. We're not going on a shaky source, an anonymous source, an unproven or unreliable source. We're trusting the promise of a promise keeper who has always kept his promises. He's not just generally reliable. That's what we mean when we say someone's reliable. We're not saying they're perfect and they've never messed up in their life. We just say, well, well, generally I can trust them and count on them, right? But when we say that God is reliable, we mean something else entirely. That God has never, ever broken a promise. Everything he's promised, he has kept. And so you and I, as we think about the gospel, we think about the promises fulfilled. All of these amazing, uh, just, just and, and he really highlights, he kind of camps out, here on the fact that Jesus' body did not decay. Hey, David, he was a great king. He was an awesome person. But at least back in that day, I don't know if archaeologists know where it is today or not, but back then, Paul said, hey, all of us, we know where David's tomb is. You can go there and, you know, if you wanted to go dig up his bones, you could because we, we know he's there. Paul said, guess what? None of you are going to go find Jesus' body. None of you are going to be able to claim his bones because God resurrected, did not allow him to decay, but rather brought him back to life. And that's simply his exhibit A, just one of many promises God has fulfilled. The promise of the gospel is that prophecy, first of all, prophecy is fulfilled. Secondly, forgiveness is available. If we've just seen that God's kept his promises in the past. What promise is he making right now to us when we hear the gospel? He's promising that forgiveness is available. That's a big deal. If you've ever wronged someone, if you've ever hurt someone and they didn't forgive you, And no matter what you did and how hard you tried, you got that sense that you would never, you would always be a second class citizen in their eyes from then on. Uh, They might tolerate you, they might deal with you, but they'd never again trust you or believe you or, you know, things would never be right with that person. And you felt the pain of that brokenness you have felt uh, the agony of knowing that there is something that just will not be made whole since it's been broken. The message of the gospel and the promise of the gospel is that no matter what you have done, no matter where you've been, no matter how many times you've done it, how far you've gone astray, wherever you went, you have not gone too far, You have not sinned too much. You have not been away from God too long that he cannot forgive you. The promise of the gospel is that forgiveness is now available freely in Jesus Christ. And let's understand what this means. This is not cheap grace. This is not winking at sin. This is not overlooking it. No big deal. We're okay with that. No, God is acknowledging how big a deal our sin is. In fact, it's really a bigger deal than we ever really acknowledge. We tend to minimize our sin. But God thought our sin was so much that the only thing that could pay for that sin was the death of his own son, Jesus, whom the Bible calls the perfect and spotless Lamb of God. It was such a big deal. But Jesus paid the price and because he's paid for our sin it's like a fine that's been paid and you no longer owe an obligation because it's been paid in full jesus has paid in full our obligation to god and so he offers us forgiveness we need to understand though that this is simply an offer if we don't agree to that offer then his payment is not applied to our account. You see, some of us think that we're good enough that we can can pay our own account off. We think we're only in debt a little bit, and we'd say, well, I'm a good person. Some people say, I'm trying to balance the scales. I've done more good than I've done bad. And they come up with all sorts of things and reasons to believe that on their own, they're good enough, they're okay enough. And yet the only Uh, acceptable payment for our sins is the payment that God has already made is Jesus Christ his son on the cross and God is calling on you and I to accept, to receive that payment but we have to open that door we have to receive it through faith we believe that God sent his son Jesus to this earth as a little baby He grew up to be a man, and all that time he never sinned. He lived a perfect life, and he laid down his life for us on the cross. In those few hours on the cross, he experienced an eternity of torment on our behalf. What we deserve for our sins, he took upon himself. The Bible says that he who knew no sin, that is, he never had a thing to do with sin. He was the furthest thing from sin. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the very righteousness of God. All that we deserve, he took upon himself so that we might freely come and receive his grace and his mercy keeping the law, being good, turning over a new leaf, signing a decision card, walking an aisle, being sprinkled or poured or dunked or, or making a religious proclamation. None of these things can make us right with God. It is simply by humbling ourselves to admit our sin and our need for a Savior that you and I can enter into a relationship with God where he forgives us for the debt that we have made through our sin. The promise of the gospel tells us that there was prophecy fulfilled. It tells us that there is a promise available to us of forgiveness. And finally, the the, uh, promise of the gospel is a warning that is issued. This is the, you might say, negative part of the gospel this is where some of us say, "Well, i don't know about sharing my faith because you know i don't know what i have to tell people that they they've actually sinned and they've done wrong and the, and that there's punishment and there's a place called hell and and we start to get a little bit nervous about that because you know what well, we listen to positive encouraging radio and we like to be positive people and and those aren't bad things but if we get carried away and we somehow equate being a Christian with being positive all the time, if we forget the reality that there are truths, there are consequences to sin, then we have missed part of the gospel. Because, yes, there's a promise that forgiveness is available, but also there is a warning that if we do not accept that promise, if we do not receive by faith what God has given us, that there are consequences that are coming. Think about it this way: If you uh, happen to be driving along in your own little world and not really thinking about much, and all of a sudden those beautiful blue lights start going off in your rearview mirror, and immediately <laughs> wherever you were, that's gone. Whatever you were floating around in your head, all of a sudden you—we do this, right? We instantly we look down, we check that gauge. How fast was I going? What was I doing? Do I have my wallet? Is, is, is all my stuff, you know, is my tag current and all these things, all these things start coming through your mind, right? I, I was on, by the, by the way, I was on the road the other day, on I-59 the other day, and uh, they had this little uh, warning, this little uh, road th- sign that said, um, a drug and alcohol check two miles down the road. And so, I, instantly, I'm, I'm looking, oh, that's just tea. I mean, I know it wasn't anything but tea, but still, <laughs> I thought, this is a little solo cup. What's the cop gonna think's in there? You know, it's, it's just tea, but you know. Uh, you, when there's a warning given, what does it do? It makes us think all of a sudden. Of course, it, the interesting thing, I came up on an exit. I thought, Phew, I bet that's where people try to get off, you know, if they're trying to avoid it. Well, as I go back by the exit, I see the cops are not two miles ahead there at the bottom of that exit. They're right there waiting for all the people who thought, I'm going to get off before I get to that two-mile mark, right? Well, let's just say we get pulled over, and we're sweating it, and we're, ah. But the cop comes up and says, you know what, it's your lucky day. I'm going to give you a warning. I don't want to see you driving like this anymore. I want you to slow down. There's kids living around here. You don't know what could happen, and you better not do it again I'm just giving you a warning. What are you going to do? If you've got sense, (laughs) you're going to say, yes, sir. Thank you, sir. I appreciate this warning. Now, you could be an idiot and say, well, you know, you really made me late. You know, and (laughs) we could start fussing. We could be stupid. But the smart thing is to say, thank you for the warning. I'm going to slow down. Was that cop being negative? To you, was he being good to you by giving you a warning? Consider another example on the road. You're riding down the road at night, and all of a sudden, someone flashes their lights at you. What do you think about? You say, you idiot. Are you trying to blind me? What are you doing? You could get mad, and you could try to flash them back or whatever. Or you could say, well, you know what? Maybe there's something because it could be, in fact, that just around the road, there's a bridge that's out. Or there's a cow in the middle of the road. Or there's something crazy. If we're in our right mind, we're going to say thanks. And we're going to be paying attention. We're going to be looking for danger ahead. The warnings of the gospel are not because we're mean, ugly, nasty people, and God likes to be negative. It's because he wants us to avoid the fate that we could experience. And that's why we, in love and kindness, just like we would warn somebody that a bridge is out, we would warn somebody, there's a place ahead that you don't want to go there's a consequence, there is a destiny, there is an eternity that you don't want to be a part of. Stop before you get there. Turn around, go the other way. Go God's way. That's what that warning is all about. How many of you, raise your hand, if you've ever heard someone say, that's not a threat, that's a promise. If you've heard someone say that, all right. We pretty much have all heard that. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if you've said that. We'd probably all raise our hands again. When someone says that, they really, really mean it, or they're trying to bluff it like they really, really mean it. But guess what? They say it's a promise, but once again, it's a human promise. They may or may not be able to come through with that threat, with that consequence. But you and I need to realize Just like Paul here said in these last couple of verses, he said, look out, look out. See, this isn't just a threat. This isn't just a human promise. This is a divine and certain promise that there is destruction coming. You can miss it if you take the way of Christ, if you listen to the gospel, if you believe. But if you keep going full steam ahead, you are Certainly in for destruction. Verse 41, Paul said, Look, you mockers, be amazed and die. I'm doing something in your own day, something you wouldn't believe even if I told you about it. I I was kind of puzzled about this, be amazed and die. What, What did he mean by that? And I read it in a bunch of different translations. Some of them say be amazed and perish or, or be amazed and vanish or, or, or that your world's falling apart. In different translations, what I basically understood is that there's going to be a day. What he's warning, he's saying, if you mock God, if you doubt his word, if you turn away from him, you can do that all you want for as long as you live in this life. But one day there's going to be a sudden awakening. There is going to be a shock when you step into eternity and you see the truth and your whole world falls apart. When you have built your world around yourself and your own goodness and your own ability and you've turned away from God. So there's a day when all of that will shatter. It'll all be gone. You and I, we have clearly in God's word the promise of the gospel. We have a God who has always fulfilled his promises. He's never lied. He's made an offer to us of forgiveness. It's available to anyone who trusts in his son Jesus. And out of that same love, he's given us a warning. Don't go down that path of destruction. Don't keep following like, just, just like an a, a animal that's too stupid to turn away from a trap. Don't keep following down that path of sin. Because there's a path of eternal life if you'll trust in Jesus Christ. That's the promise of the gospel. I want to ask you today, have you claimed that promise for yourself? Have you put your faith in Jesus Christ? And again, I'm not asking, have you walked down an aisle? Have you signed a commitment card? Have you gone through any type of religious initiation or confirmation or baptism? Have you been to a revival? I'm not asking any of those things. I'm asking you simply is your faith in Jesus Christ? Because if the answer is no, you're headed for that day when your whole world falls apart. But if yes, then your life is on a path for eternal life. We sang a moment ago that knowing Jesus, there is no greater thing. If you put your faith in Jesus and you yet you have let your life and your direction, you've let it meander and wander and you've gotten off a track, God's calling you today to come back to Him. To realize that the stuff in this world, the trivial things, the, the material things, that they're not what it's all about. It's all about knowing Jesus. And maybe you're in that place today where you know Him, but you've gotten distant from Him if you're honest. And today you need to come back and renew yourself in your faith and your walk with Jesus. And the last thing I want to ask, are you that person who's giving the warnings? Are you that person that loves other people enough that you'll flash your lights and, and you'll risk making them get a little irritated because you love them enough that the bridge is out? And you don't want them falling in the pit. You don't want them to spend an eternity away from God. If you just love people that much, then you and I have an obligation to warn them. There's great news, but guess what? There's a terrible path if you don't follow it. Would you bow with me in prayer today? Heavenly Father, I come to you, I ask right now, if there's anybody here today who doesn't know you, God, that today would be the day that they put their faith in you, not trusting their own works, not ignoring you, not rejecting you, but God, entering into eternal life by trusting in your Son, Jesus. Father, for the believers in here today, Father, rekindle, renew within us a sense of awe and wonder at what you've done for us on the cross. In Calvary, you gave your son his life, your only son you gave to us, for us, bearing our burdens, our sins. God, may gratitude, awe and wonder, worship and love well up within us father rekindle those things in us so that we may worship more deeply and more truly god that that we might tell others about this amazing thing that you've done for us that we might warn them about the destruction that lies ahead if they don't heed that warning Father, help us to understand what we sing about. That knowing Jesus, your son, is the most important thing that we can ever do in this life. We know him by listening to his words, but God, we also know him by heeding, by obeying, by responding in love and gratitude to the words of your holy word. God, help us Wherever we're at, Father, if we have burdens, Father, let us lay them at the, at the feet of the cross. Father, if, if we've got chains like we sing about as well, and we've been defeated because we think we can't do it, Father, help us to realize that with you nothing's impossible. God, you've got a way to break those chains. Lord, help us to respond to your way, your words, and your way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.